Austin Barker. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to hour number two of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. Dr. Tony Beam is down in Columbia. Pray for him today as he advocates and join him if you find yourself with some time to do some political advocacy on the on the uh, for the cause of life, particularly unborn human life. Um, all right. I have several topics I want to get to. Listen, if you can draw a connection between Masa Amini, George Floyd, education, the church, virtue formation, don't say gay bill and beat Pete Buttigieg. If you already see the connections in all that, then you really should talk to somebody, like get some help. But maybe, or else you could consider a new career in Christian Worldview podcasting. But hey, everybody has a podcast nowadays, which is why you should make sure that you follow the transition as Tony Beam prepares to go private, go out on his own, and um, he will only be accessible to you on, through the internet, basically. So you'll have to look up his website. Uh, I believe it's drtonybeam.com, drtonybeam.com. Right. Don't go there because it's not alive. Right. But, but um, dr, don't spell yeah, out doctor, right. just dr. drtonybeam.com, and there you, you will be able to stream the program live, um, and you will still be able to follow him on Facebook, and you will still you will be able to follow him probably on Rumble, and also on, seems like there's, of course, on all the podcasting platform, platforms, he's still going to be sending that out through... Um, you know, our RSS feed will still go out, um, and you'll still be able to access the podcast. I expect the logo will change, and some of the production will change, but but it'll it'll still be there. So um, you'll just have to, you know, navigate that turn, um, and uh, please do that. Worth your time. All right, uh, so before I get into talking about solar power and talking about uh, virtue formation, and I could talk about other stuff. Um, I want to I want to tackle um, one topic that a listener suggested on Facebook. Um, Bob said to me to us on Facebook. Let's see if I can pull up his executive thing. He said, "I wonder if any Christian talking heads will be talking about Zelensky and his uh, what was the exact phrasing here? Um, kicking out Christians was basically what the the." would bring up our support of Zelensky and his shutting down Christian churches. Okay, and then I said, give me a link, I'll talk about it. So he sent me three, and the sources matter, sources do matter, so I have a Breitbart article, I have an RT.com article, um, I don't know what that is, I didn't go there to that one yet, but that concerns me, that um, it could be, um, I don't know, Russian television, I have no idea. And then a Tucker, and then a Tucker, Tucker Carlson, okay? So these all land squarely in far-right um, sources. I listen to that, and I read that stuff, because it's important that you get a well-rounded view in order to have some stability to your worldview, okay, instead of some lopsidedness. But these three sources are lopsided, so I want to be—I'm being fair here, okay? I'm not being partisan, I'm being fair. And so all three of these sources come from the same side of the political spectrum. So I went and I read the Breitbart article, and I'd like to share a little bit of of that with you and then comment on it. So the headline from Breitbart says that Zelensky— I don't need to tell you that's the president of Ukraine, strips Orthodox clergy, politicians, and other accused Russian sympathizers of citizenship. So I'll just keep reading until I, until I kind of want to stop and co- comment, okay? Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has stripped Ukrainian citizenship from 13 Orthodox clergy and several opposition politicians alleged to have ties to Russia. Okay. President Zelensky stripped the 13 priests of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, or the UOC, of their citizenship 
late last month and this week stripped several prominent opposition politicians of the Ukrainian citizenship as well, among them Viktor Medvedchuk, who was given to Russian authorities as part of a prisoner exchange in September of last year. I have decided I could almost do my Ukrainian accent. You may try and read it. I have decided to terminate the citizenship of four persons, Zelensky stated earlier this week, with former MPs. Was that okay? Did that sound reasonably that was, Eastern European? That was good. I like that. <laughs> um, I can't do, I can't distinguish between Ukrainian and Russian accents. So when I do a Russian accent, it sounds very much like my Ukrainian <laughs> accent, okay? Yeah, well, they're very close. They're <laughs> neighbors. With former, okay, so Zelensky has decided to terminate the citizenship of four persons um, with former MPs, that's members of parliament, Andrei Durkach, Taras Kozak, and Renat Kuzmin all having their citizenship revoked by the government. Medvedchuk had fled his home city in the early days of the conflict with Russia and was arrested in April, accused of treason and attempting to leak military secrets to the Russians. Durkach, Kozak, and Kuzmin have also been alleged to have ties to Russia or to have supported the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Durkach, in particular, was also accused of smearing U.S. President Joe Biden regarding Hunter Biden's activities in Ukraine which involved work for the energy company Burisma for as much as $83,000 a month, and now we're down a rabbit trail. Okay. Um, this, I'll, I'll read a little bit more. The stripping of citizenship of the opposition politicians comes after Zelensky stripped 13 Ukrainian Orthodox Church clergy of their citizenship, including the Metropolitan Archbishop of Tolchin and Bratslav Ionafen, I don't even know what these words mean, announcing the move last Saturday. Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova did not mince words following the move by Kiev. And this is on Orthodox Christmas. This is pure Satanism. The move by the Zelensky government comes after it set its sights on the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, a branch of Orthodoxy which retained links to the Patriarch of Moscow after the rival state-backed Orthodox Church of Ukraine, the OCU, not to be confused with the UOC, was formed, heavily restricting the church late last year. Okay, so what the far right wants you to believe is that the left-wing government of Volodymyr Zelensky and the Ukrainian power right now wants to suppress Christianity, and that's what this whole thing is about. That's, what Vladimir, that's the way Vladimir Putin framed the war, was that this is a religious war. Okay, that's why Father Kirill, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, um, is completely on board, has been. I don't know, there might have been a change. I don't think there was. I can't remember. But Father Kirill originally supported the war effort, supported Vladimir Putin, um, as a theological venture. So we're having to go, and, and, and the way that Father Kirill frames it was, was preserve the orthodoxy, of the of the Orthodox Church, so you have the Church in Ukraine liberalizing, Westernizing, and that's true. Okay, the Ukrainians, as they become more friendly with NATO and the EU and the West in general, have become more liberal in their social values. That's true, and so the Orthodox Church in Ukraine could be expected to tack with that because that's what churches do apparently in this world that we live in is they change. Speaking of change, right? And they usually change left. And so it, uh, an organization has to be deliberately, self-consciously, persistently conservative. 
in order to stay that way. So it's no surprise to me that the Ukrainian culture and the Ukrainian church as a part of that culture are liberalizing. I regret that. The answer, the solution, and this is so typical of people on left and right and middle and everywhere in between, is to see an undesirable status quo and then provide a horrendous solution. Okay, so the correct solution to the liberalization of the Ukrainian church and Ukrainian culture and the cozying up to Western liberal cultures is to go in and invade and sh um, shoot chemicals, like burning chemicals down on villages and kill children and attack civilian infrastructure and put at risk a nuclear power plant and, 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 and run the risks of nuclear meltdown worse than Chernobyl. Do you see what I'm saying? This is a hor horrendous solution. If you can get from Ukraine is becoming more liberal to Ukraine needs to be invaded by uh, ostensibly more conservative Russia and they need to be brought back into the fold by use of force, military force, you need to talk to somebody. That's not a Christian impulse. Okay? So what I see here is I see Zelensky, a very ugly intersection between the church and politics. I can't think of a time when church and politics get in bed together, that there ain't some sort of hellacious baby born out of that uh, unholy marriage. All right? So you you have the Russians framing this war as a as a theological venture. Like, this is an effort to, to hear Vladimir Putin say it, denazify Ukraine. Okay? Wait a minute, denazify? I'm confused. I thought the Nazis were on the far right side, the ultra-nationalistic side of the political spectrum. And so you have right-wing Russia trying to go in and de-ultra-right-wing defy Ukraine? Do you see the categories get muddy because they're not true categories? Okay, this is not a true story we're telling here. And so that's why things get confusing like that. So Putin, Putin claims he's going in to denazify Ukraine. Kirill says he's on a holy war from Jesus and uh, to, to go in and save the orthodoxy of the church preserve the integrity of the theology in Ukraine. It's all a bunch of... Where's that beat button? Uh, let's see. Who texted me? Dr. Gibbons. Oh, I love Dr. Gibbons. That wasn't a Pakistani accent, Dr. Gibbons! I can do a Pakistani accent that was not Pakistan. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. All right. No, I'm not even embarrassed. I don't embarrass easily. All right. So so what happens here and what, what's happening as, as Zelensky is stripping these Ukrainian citizens and prominent citizens, including some Ukrainian Orthodox priests, of their citizenship is he is stripping them of a civic, of a civil um, uh, right. Okay. He, th their, their, their national membership, they're not loyal to Ukraine. They're loyal to Russia. At least that's what Ukraine is accusing them of, okay? Now, the only grounding that I could see a legitimate controversy here is if that accusation is false, is if Zelensky is accusing these people, is he, he's, he's using this as a political um, co as, as cover to arrest and then ex... What do you, what's the word for kicking you out of their country? Um, X, X, Communicate. X, well, yeah, that's kicking them out of the church. <laughs> but yeah, to kick them out of your country thing. or to deny their citizenship. Patriot. I, I, I was thinking expatriate, but that's oh, I think that's voluntary. On. Anyway, what is, there's a the word for it. I said X. That's enough. That X means out. So get out, right? So so if if he's trying to revoke their citizenship, 
and deprive them of their of their rights to continue to live as Ukrainian because they're his political enemies, and he's using you know this accusation of Russian sympathy as a pretext, and it's a false accusation. Now, if that is the case, then then I then there's something to see here. Okay, because that's just corruption. And Zelensky's run on a platform of anti-corruption. And the big problem over in Ukraine, one of the reasons that they're not a member of NATO and the EU is because of corruption. Okay, so if that's the story, then that's the story. It's a story of political corruption. But it's not a story of some sort of crusade against Christianity and Zelensky being some sort of Satanist who is against Christianity. This is a civil action that he's taken. He has revoked their membership. He's not like he's gone in there and, 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 and denied them communion, okay, and said, you're going to hell. He didn't take a religious action against them. He took a civil action against them. And I think if, if, you, if, you just had to, if I just had to trust my instincts, he took that action against them because they are Russian sympathizers, because that category exists. There are a lot of Ukrainians who are sympathetic to Russia. There's a long history between them. And so there's, especially as you get over into the east in the Donbass region, there, there are a lot of Ukrainians who feel a strong sense of affinity for Russia. And so Russia is not totally wrong to say that they're coming in to liberate these people who feel suppressed or oppressed by a Ukrainian regime. Because there's a lot of, of, of I mean, Russian speakers, their culture is Russian, their language is Russian, their ancestry is Russian. They're Russian. And they're living in Ukraine. And they don't like that. Okay, so again, let's look at an undesirable status quo and let's propose a horrendous solution. Go in there and liberate them by force and kill a bunch of civilians and destroy the country and deprive the world of, a, of, of its valuable, most of its breadbasket. Let's shut down the breadbasket of the world. And do you see what I'm saying? These solutions do not match the problems. There's a disproportionality that is really, really striking. All right, I talked about it. All right. I get I, I mean, I'm not I'm, a, I'm as biased as anybody. It's not like I just gave you an unbiased and objective view of it. But I tried to be fair. I tried to hear what there is to hear. Did I try to see what there is? If there is something there, I want to see it. OK, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a seeker after truth. I'm not just a partisan hack and I'm not I'm definitely not. Uh, oh, go ahead. Call me a left left winger. Go ahead. I'll wait. All right, Wesley on Facebook made a great point. Just the type of point that 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 needs to be made, and that I this is why I listen to people like this, and why I have a really hard time listening to people who are incapable of this type of balance. Listen to this; this is really good. It's about the Ukraine and Zelensky and civil rights issue. Wesley says, denying civil rights to presumed enemy sympathizers. Okay, so Zelensky stripping the Ukrainian citizenship of Russian sympathizers. That is something that the U.S. did during World War II to people of German and Japanese descent. And that has become a matter of national shame to us, says Wesley. Zelensky's actions are questionable here, just as ours were in that instance, but it was political, not religious. Okay, that framing matters, because if you frame it as Zelensky going on a war against the church, that is dishonest. And, uh, and seeing it for what it actually is can help you to accurately diagnose the problem and say that this may indeed be a problem, but it's not the problem you think it is. Do you see that? But because one of these is so much more hot to the touch, Zelensky's going against the church. That one's very hot to the touch. If you said that, and if it were true, 
I would have a problem then, okay? But, but that was just really, really well put. Very, very good point, Wesley, and thanks for making it. All right, turn a corner. What do Masa Amini, George Floyd, education, the church, virtue formation, the don't say gay bill, and Pete Buttigieg all have in common? Nothing really. I mean, not exactly, except that they all ping around in my mind and they happen in a stream of consciousness. So Austin Barker rant alert coming up, okay? But I want to hear your thoughts about this. So after the break in seven minutes or so, call me and tell me what you think of my thoughts, all right? Because here goes. I'm going to chase some rabbits on this rant. Get that Austin Barker unleashed thing there handy, right? Because you might need it. Um, I was struck as I read the headlines recently about Iran releasing up to, I can't remember what number, was it 22,000 um, people from prison that they had arrested as protesters or demonstrators after the death of Masa Amini in police custody. I believe they released 22,000 prisoners, if my number's correct, out of 82,000 people that they have arrested in the aftermath of, 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 of Masa Amini's death. Okay, 82,000 people. Again, I don't know if I'm remembering the exact number, but I'm really re landing it really close, all right? And I, I, I don't know why this came to my mind, but George Floyd came to my mind because, oh, here are two deaths in police custody that provided motivation for massive nationwide protests and worldwide protests, actually. In one country, massive protests led to widespread arrests. That would be Iran. In another country, massive protests led to widespread vandalism and destruction of property but not massive arrests. That would be the United States. In the United States, there were calls by many Republicans for widespread arrests. And this, you, again, I want to hear what you think about this because I'm sure there's a downside to the solution that I'm proposing or, or, or at least to the, to the way of framing this issue that I'm seeing here, okay? But I don't see the Iran way as being the right way here in the United States, I don't think that what this country really needs is more people in prison. America has the highest incarceration rate of any country in the world anywhere. We put more people in cages in prison than anywhere else. And I don't think, despite the fact that I vehemently disapprove of the bad behavior in the aftermath of the George Floyd, of, of George Floyd's murder... And I didn't like all the vandalism and the property destruction and the, you know, billions of dollars of, 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 of damage, of economic damage that was done. But I, th I, think what we, I think we need to look further upstream than just putting people in prison as the result of their bad behavior. Because I think it is exactly the same thing. And I had this written down before I even responded to the Zelensky issue, okay? But I think it is very short-sighted to look at a, at a bad situation, at a very undesirable status quo, and say, lock them up. I mean, we're a lawless people. Corey Truex has talked about this extensively, about the fact that we are a lawless people. 
And that is a problem that is a very undesirable status quo. But the answer to that, the solution to that, is not imprison these lawless people. On the contrary, I think that this is an inevitable downstream result of the deprioritization of religion and the consequent erosion of personal virtue. I know I sound like a broken record here, okay? Because every time I get on this program, I find myself talking about virtue. But, but really, folks, virtue really is the answer to America's problems. There is not a political solution to the myriad problems facing this country. If you believe that, there is, that politics is the way to solve the abortion issue, if you believe that politics is the way to solve the crime issue, if you believe that politics is the way to solve the corruption issue, if you, I could go on, okay? The problem list is long in America today. We're not in a good place. We're not healthy. We're not a healthy culture or society. But politics is not the solution to that. And if you believe that, if you predicate your hope for a better America, a better tomorrow on a political solution, you are on the false scent. You are doomed to f disappointment. But there is pre-political work that can be done. We call it middle culture. And between the, between the end of, what do I mean by middle culture? Between the individual and the state, there used to be a robust network of nonpartisan institutions who did the heavy lifting of culture formation and even character formation. Think Boy Scouts. Think Moose Lodge. Think voluntary organizations. You know, things that you affiliate yourself with on a voluntary basis that do community work and do community building work. The YMCA. All those types of, of mediating institutions, middle culture. That's, that's why I care so much about education. Because one big, now missing, part of the process of educating children is the formation of virtuous character. It is not just habits of mind. It is habits of heart and soul. And that stuff used to happen in school. You used to tell kids... Thou shalt not do badly. You shall not cheat on tests. You shall not be dishonest. Thou shalt not say bad words in the hall. I'll tell you, folks, if you ever hear from me again and you hear that I'm considering going back into public education, remind me, remind me, please, of Monday, March 13th, when I was working across the street from an elementary school in Greenville County at, as school got out. And the absolute barrage of profanity that I was subjected to by these little 10, 11, and 12-year-olds walking down the sidewalk. I've never heard so many F-words, S-words, A-words, B-words, the list. I've never heard so many in a concentrated dose as I heard from elementary, was it elementary, 9, 10, 11, they were 10, 11, 12, that would be a middle school. I think it was Northwood Middle School. I think that's right. I was working across the street. And as these kids get out of school, I was, I was dumbfounded. This comes from a person who taught in a middle school in 2017 and 18, and in a high school, in an alternative school in 2018, 2019. That's not three years ago. And I was horrified by the, by the vulgarity and profanity and, and the permission. There was no adult out there standing on the thing saying, we need to be better than this. 
because they don't have any moral authority to do so. They can't say that to kids. No adult can come out there. They don't have any authority over those kids on the sidewalk. The kid will just look at them and, 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 and give them an expletive. I know. I know they will. Ask me if I tried it. So do you see the, the, the hollowing out, the thinning out? Our education system is not in the business of virtue formation. It's not in the business of character formation anymore. I got put, when I was teaching at middle school in 2017, I got put on a performance improvement plan. That means there's something wrong with what I'm doing, okay? And you need to be better. By the administration, I got put on a performance improvement uh, plan because I had a conversation with a 7th grader, a particularly randy male 7th grader, encouraging him not to lose his virginity until he got married. That's called virtue formation, okay? And, 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 and they said, you can't talk to our students about that stuff. Especially, you can't promote your values here. Okay, because the parents might not agree with those values. Now, that's true. Everything they said was true. I can't talk about that stuff with seventh graders because the parents might not agree with that. That is that they described the current social landscape perfectly accurately, and they were probably justified in putting me on a performance improvement plan according on those grounds. But I don't want to live in a world like that. I don't want to live in a world where a Christian mature, responsible, concerned, compassionate teacher, middle school teacher, male role model. I know this kid. This kid didn't have a dad. His dad exploded at him. The only conversations he had with his dad were angry ones. I knew his background. And, and we want to say in the education system, Austin Barker Unleashed, get ready for it. You want to say in the education system that we're supposed to educate the whole child. We're supposed to treat the whole child. Well, the whole child has something to do with virtue formation. Austin Barker unleashed. Can you imagine a world where a male teacher of a pubescent male tells that student, live a good life, gives him a roadmap to do so, and the administration comes to that teacher and says, we could fire you for doing that. I mean, is it a teacher's role to talk to their students about their sexuality? Let me just ask you that honest question. Is it a teacher's role, a public school teacher's role, to talk to their middle school students about their sexuality? No. No. The answer is no. Okay, that's what the whole Don't Say Gay Bill was about, the, the, the euphemistically named. Okay, I'm only using that name just as a cultural touchstone to let you know what bill I'm talking about because you know what I'm talking about, and you know I don't agree with that, that designation. Okay, but the Parental Rights and Education Act from Florida said you, as a public school teacher, it is not within your purview to talk to third graders, to elementary school students about sexuality. Stay out of it. That's for their parents to talk to them, and that's right. That's true. Okay, that's wholesome, and especially all the more so as we deal with all the hypersexualization and the introduction of agendas into the education system. But can you not distinguish between a teacher who's saying, do good, and a teacher who's saying, be as bad as you want to be? If you can't make that distinction, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble, because listen, a, a, a guy who pushes a woman out of the way of a bus and a guy who pushes a woman in front of a bus, it is not fair to characterize both of those people as the type of guy who pushes old ladies around. Do you see what I'm saying? One of them was doing a good deed. One of them was doing a bad deed. The deed looked the same. They both pushed the old woman. There's two guys talking to, this, talking to these students about sexuality, and one of them is promoting a good, wholesome, contributory, pro-social message. And the other one is saying, go out there and destroy yourself. 
And if we can't tell the difference between that, God help us. All right, call me and tell me what you think about my thoughts, okay? You've heard my rant, and I have more, but I want to hear from you. What do you think about this? Am, am, I, am I on a false scent here with virtue formation being the, the, the real game we're playing um, in, in, in American society? One of our listeners on Facebook, Shane, I believe it was Shane, said um, that we need a move from God and we need revival. And yes, I mean, those two are—one one would result in the other. You know, if we if we had genuine revival, I think we would definitely see a reformation in American virtue. And listen, I, I'm going to go back to the to the prison thing, okay? Because if you have a virtuous people, you do not need as many prisons. Uh, that's just a fact. If you have people who behave well because they're living their life before a holy God, before the eyes of a watching God, they live well. They do right when no one else is watching. Because they know that this that, that the reckoning here is not the only one or the last one or the worst one. Okay? There's another day of reckoning coming. And so they live for that day. They live for that day. So they don't cheat on their taxes even when they could get away with it. So they don't be dishonest in their business even if they could get away with it. They don't charge unreasonable prices for their products or services even when they could get away with it in a, in a, in a hyperinflationary culture or uh, economic climate. Okay? Th those types of people, they live virtuous lives, privately and publicly. And you can you can build a culture around people like that. You can't... It's, it's, it, listen, virtue formation is one reason I care about education. You've kind of heard me talk about that, okay? There is not a culture-wide expectation anymore of what is right and true and good and beautiful. One of the things that I've heard from multiple people older than me that has changed, speaking of change, in the last 50 years is the one-voiced nature of all of society's institutions. Used to be that if you got a spanking at school, you got a spanking at home. And that's emblematic of a, 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 more, a more widespread truth that church and school and parents kind of spoke with the same voice and said what was right and what was good and what was true and what was beautiful. That was all kind of one voice. And now that is splintered and fractured into a chaos of many voices, competing voices with competing moral claims. So I care about education. I care about the lack of virtue formation that's going on in the education system. But it's also one reason that I care so much about the church. And the church is another one of those pre-political institutions. One of our listeners on Facebook said, religion is political. Absolutely incorrect. Fundamentally wrong frame. Okay. He, he believes, this listener believes, based on what I can discern from his contributions, he believes that all of life is political, including religion. Okay, so politics is the frame. I believe that all of life is theological, including politics. So how we do our politics plays by theological rules, and it's governed by the same limits of personal virtue that my church life is, and that my marriage is, and that my parenting is, and that my education system is. Do you see? That's a completely different frame of life. And that is one of the common ways that, that, the, that the everyone right of center, and I know, you know what, a lot of, just a lot of political-minded people, because it's true of both, that they have made too much of politics. Politics has a voracious appetite, and it swallows up Whenever the core of society, whenever those mediating institutions erode, and there's a thinning out, a hollowing out of the center of American life, okay, when that happens, 
politics steps in to fill that void. And that's what you see it happening. Look around you. That's the most accurate cultural diagnosis I can give you is that politics has become the go to and everyone's grabbing for the gun of political power and then using it, turning it and pointing it at their opposition and saying, I'll use this on you. I will. So I care about the church because it's another one of those mediating institutions, one of the pre-political commitments of our, that comprises middle culture. And among the best ways that I know of to achieve virtue formation is to model virtue for your children and then take them to church. I didn't say send them to church. That's just free daycare, and your kids know the game you're playing. They'll quit that game as soon as the balance of power shifts ever so slightly in their direction. Once they figure out that you can't make them do things anymore, they'll quit playing that game. I've asked me how many times I've seen it. Why is the church so important? Because like no other institution, it tells people, like no other institution, the church has the moral authority to tell people you should be good. It tells people, it's, I mean, that's not enough for you to get to heaven, right? It's, we can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our way into heaven. But telling people that they should be good, thou shalt be good, or thou shalt not be bad. I mean, that's the Bible talking at you. That is enough to build a healthy society on. Gene, welcome to the program. Yes, the uh, topic you brought up is an interesting one, one that uh, you know we can dive into and have long discussions. Your comment about the children, uh, elementary school kids or, or junior high children uh, swearing up a storm. Mm -hmm. You know, virtue formation starts with the family, as you've indicated. Right. But how does that come about when these children, by and large, are not growing up in, uh, in the family? You know, the father's missing. Remember, when the father's missing, uh, there is a big demise in the family order and structure. When we have a... Uh, a culture, uh, uh, a politically driven culture, I might add, that is promoting, uh, you know, a family is any any organization you want it to be, but if it's if it's based on uh, matrimonial vows of one man and one woman, oh, we can't have that. So no wonder why we have uh, children who are speaking the way they speak, because uh, another element of it is that we don't have too many people in our society. I mean, uh, listen to the radio or, or, or television. I don't watch TV. But uh, if you speak Shakespearean English, so to speak, and you guys brought up Shakespeare, but uh, proper grammar, that is white supremacy here in America. We can't allow that. Uh, you know, uh, and this is what happens. So that by the time these children are, have hit their 18 years, I think their, their neurodevelopment for, for language uh, skills has, has diminished. They, they, they won't learn words. Yeah. So what do you expect from them? Yeah. Uh, uh, nothing but grunts and groans. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's a fair point. I. I don't know. I. I feel at some point like I'm. Um, like I'm just you know get a boomer get off my lawn type of thing you know where it's just kind of a a, a you know longing for the good old days, oh, days to say that kids are stupider now. But I'm just gonna say it. Kids are stupider now. I kids are stupider now. I'm just saying. Do you think so? Yes. Uh, well, hold well, on. I guess we have to define our terms, don't we? Go ahead, Gary. What are you thinking? Well, I'm, What's your I'm reaction thinking, to that? Well, what I think is that uh, what some of these kids are doing, uh, we used to call that locker room talk. Yes. And when the boys were together in the locker room, some of these words were flowing out of there. Boys will be now, boys. But when you got out 
of the locker room and you walked around school and stuff, suddenly put a cap on it and, and, and all of that. And, and that cap now has been removed. And so now what's going on in the locker room, I guess, can go on anywhere in society. Now, because I want to be fair to Greenville County schools. They do not have a policy that allows students to use profanity in the classroom in the hallways. That's okay? good. I just happen to have been in those hallways, and I know there's a lot of profanity that goes on in the hallways. Sure. That is not allowed to go on in the classroom. That, right. would, that would get a kid kicked out of school right. if, they, if they persisted in that type of behavior. And, and, but I'm talking about the sidewalks after school. Exactly. And I th- and this is where this is where Jesus comes in, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. Because really, I didn't. I don't think I I participated in that much profanity when I was in high school. But when I got to college, and I was around the boys, and my parents are not around, all of a sudden, that my mouth was X-rated, guilty as charged, not too. good. Okay. And when I went home mm-hmm. on Christmas vacations or things. I literally, I was so concerned. I was nervous the whole time because I didn't know what was going to come out of my mouth around my parents. And I just, I just needed to make it through those, you know, a couple of weeks and get back to school. Can I predict what I happened? let all that stuff out. Oh, it's, I don't, I don't, it's terrible. I, I don't know this story, but I'm just going to guess that you never said one of those words around your parents. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I was sweating bullets to keep from, no, do not, I'm biting my tongue. But when Jesus came in, hmm. all of a sudden, he took that X-rated mouth away from me. I hadn't come back since. From the inside, because out of the abundance of the exactly. heart, the mouth speaks. Exactly, and and so much. And so when I hear people say we need revival, we need yes, we do. I mean that's mm-hmm. and and our 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 churches. I mean we have we have a, a housing crisis here in Greenville. Mm-hmm. How about our churches? Are our churches overflowing? On Sundays, because we've got so many people coming into this area, and then I would guess the nope, churches are all a are bunch of bleeping Yankees, and they don't go to church. Or Lord are, knows they're a bunch of heathens and pagans from up in Massachusetts. Or are we still having problems in the church is dwindling in, in some yeah. in some respects? But you don't think Not kids all. are stupider? You th- you definitely think they're worse behaved because I, the governor has been taken off of that bad behavior. Yes, I see that. Now, I, I, but well, not stupid. Like genes, the point with the genes making is they're not even as capable of critical thinking. They're not capable. Of, their vocabulary is well, diminished. Well, I think I think some of that, maybe probably. Um, I've, it's been a while since I've been back in. It hadn't the been a while for me. I, I, right. I'm dealing with them all the time. Exactly. And I'm just. I, I mean, I see a difference. Right. They don't make them like they used to. Right. So get right. off my lawn. <laughs> Have you been waiting for a year to play that audio clip? Yes. And you yes. For, and you forgot last March 15th. I did. I remember that. I, I don't did. know why I remember that because that's taking up valuable space in this exactly. limited RAM going on up yeah. here. But that's a that's a very old old clip from people. I don't know if some people may remember it. You want to hear the 17 second uh, version of the full version? Sure. Sure. All right. Here we go. Beware dies the march. <laughs> what do he mean by that, Julius? And he say, I doesn't know. <laughs> but Julius, you just like Kennedy. You supposed to know everything. <laughs> he said, I does, but I don't know that. So you can see it's dated. <laughs> I've got, I've, I've got that like guy's Kennedy. name on my, the tip of my tongue. Uh, it's Brother Dave Gardner. No, that's not. It wasn't I'm the sorry. name I had on the tip of my tongue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, speaking of old things, though, Alexander McLaren, who is now uh, with the Lord, bless his heart, uh, or God rest his memory, or whatever you're supposed to say about people once they've died, um, had a message out of First Kings chapter 20. I love this story where Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, threatens 
Well, he doesn't really threaten. He extorts King Ahab of the northern ten tribes of Israel, and he says, uh, you know, all that stuff that you have, all those uh, women and all the chariots and everything and the cities and all that, that's all mine. And Ahab very obsequiously responds, yeah, you're right, it's all yours. And then Ben-Hadad says, okay, so give it to me. And, and Ahab's like, can we talk about this? Because that's not really what I had in mind. And Ben-Hadad says, y- every, you, y- your efforts to oppose me will be like sand running through my fingers, and there will not be one little piece of you left. And Ahab goes, oh, come on, man. And, and Ahab, I mean, you know Ahab's an evil king, he's not, a, but he had a real bit of wit and wisdom here when he said to Ben-Hadad, he said, um, let not him that girdeth on, this is King James, let not him that girdeth on his armor boast as he that putteth it off. So basically, don't brag about winning the fight until maybe actually after you've won the fight. So I just love that. And, and, and Alexander McLaren preached out of 1 Kings 20, preached this message called Putting on the Armor, and in a section called From the Old to the Young. And this is such wisdom, folks. Just listen to this. This is so good. From, from an old person looking, you know, as a millennial now, as a 40-year-old millennial, looking at Gen Zers and, you know, all, anybody under 30 is going to hell, in my opinion. And so, so I want to tell them this. So, I, I'll t- I don't know if I'll, I can make this available to you. Just look it up, okay? Alexander McLaren's putting on the armor. If you want to Google search that, if you want to share this with a young person, you're like, so good. Listen to this. This is just excerpts. Hand and brain are never paired. There's always a gap between conception and realization. Therefore, all we old people feel more or less that our lives have been failures. We set out as you do thinking that we were going to build a tower whose top should reach to heaven, and we are satisfied if, at the last, we have scrambled together some little wooden shanty in which we can live. We thought, as you do, big dreams, you will come to think as we do. Have you realized how different it is to dream things and to do them? In our dreams, we are, as it were, working in vacuo. When we come to acts, the atmosphere offers resistance. You have not yet learned how completely and consistently failure accompanies success, like its shadow. That sharp criticism, that half-expressed thought, how much better I could do it, belong to youth by virtue of its youth. All of us old people whose deficiencies and limitations you see so clearly had the same dreams, impossible as it may seem to you, 50 years ago, and you see what we have made of it. You will not do much better. Boast if you like, but calculate first, then boast if you can. Isn't that really good? I mean, it's exactly like, to me, that's just G.K. Chesterton, and this is my favorite Chesterton quote, and it's exactly in line with what I said earlier about seeing, correctly diagnosing an undesirable status quo and then providing a deplorable solution to it. Listen to G.K. Chesterton. He says, the old man is always wrong, and the young people are always wrong about what is wrong with him. The practical form it takes is this, that while the old man may stand by some stupid custom, happens all the time, the young man always attacks it with some theory that turns out to be equally stupid. <laughs> Isn't that so good? So, I mean, I guess I have to I have to say that, you know, I know I'm wrong about stuff, okay? I mean, I'm looking, I'm pointing, scolding the younger generation saying, you know, you're so bad, you're so bad, you're so stupid, you're so dumbed down, you're so whatever. And I realize that they're capable of, of, of a brilliance and, and ingenuity and innovation and a change that is just remarkable. That, that in, in the future, people will look back at that as like an inflection point in history and say, that was when things changed for the better. 
And if they're wise and honest, they will also say, yeah, mm, that's when things change for the worse. Because that's the complicated world that we live in. It would be nice if we had these tidy little categories where we could just say, you know, oh, this is good and that's bad and divide between the two and separate them out. But too often they grow together like wheat and tares. And you have to let the one grow with the other and then let the Lord of the harvest sort it out at the end of time. All right. Nice being with you today. Come back tomorrow. Tony will be back in the studio. See ya.